0: Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. I wonder how many of you have ever found yourself in a situation where somebody gave you a promise or made you a promise and then they broke it. And you don't need to raise your hand or point to somebody in the room, right? But you've probably been there before. Somebody said, hey, I promise I'll be there. I promise I'll pay you back. They made some kind of promise to you, but that promise didn't come true. Most of us know that feeling, And the truth is that while the promises that that human beings make are not always that reliable, we've started out our year with the idea of the fact that when God makes a promise, it always comes true. And even though we've experienced people not fulfilling their end of the bargain with other people, God always fulfills what he promises. And so we've been looking at some promises like we started out with the promise of God's providence. We looked at Joseph's life and the fact that no matter how high, no matter how low your life is, you can always bank on the fact that God is in control of your life and he is working things to good. That's a pretty awesome promise. How many of you need that? We, we thought about the fact of, of God's promise of power, that sometimes we're called to carry heavy burdens, and we face big trials in life, and God has promised that He will give us the power to endure, no matter how heavy, the burden. That's an awesome promise. And this morning in Philippians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be in God's Word, we're going to look at another awesome promise of God. It's what I want to call the promise of provision, and I'm gonna get really excited this morning. I know that shocks you. But man, I, I am so, I'm just amazed at how awesome God is and what he gives his children. So let's look at Philippians chapter four. If you're able to please stand for the reading of God's word. This is our weekly reminder that these words come to us with the very authority of God. And the Apostle Paul writes here in Philippians four, And verse 14, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever and God's people said amen pray with me father thank you for this promise thank you for your word and our prayer these few weeks have been take us deep take your word deep into our lives that we have a firm foundation a faith a rock-solid faith in Christ no matter what we face in the year to come. So would you do that again this morning as we look at the promise of your provision in our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we hear about it all the time on the news. It is front and center in American politics, And my guess is that many of you in this room have felt the stress of it before. It seems like everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, we hear about economic difficulties, financial hardships. I talk to people all the time who are struggling to make ends meet they're week to week and month to month, and just overall, many of us at frequent times in our life worry about financial things. In fact, I recently came across a study that researched the top 10 things people stress about the most, four of those 10 Related to finance number one was money number three was the economy number eight was job security and number nine was housing cost This is a real Stress it's a real issue that you and I deal with at different degrees at different times in our life But I wonder how we respond in that moment of stress I wonder how we react when there's difficulty in that area of our lives. Because, friends, how we respond in those moments may very well reveal who our God really is. In the introduction of his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller gives some examples of how some people responded during the 2008 and 2009 economic crisis. The examples included the CFO of Freddie Mac, who in the economic crisis hung himself in his basement. The CEO of Sheldon Good shot himself behind the wheel of his car. A French money manager who manages a lot of the wealthy families in Europe when he lost 1.4 billion dollars. And the Bernie Madoff scandal slid his wrists. A Bear Stearns executive, when he learned that the company that had just bought out his company was not going to hire him, he jumped out of the 29th floor of his office building. Those things are tragic for many reasons, but one of the reasons is it shows you how people try to find ultimate security and financial security. And while many of us in this room, let's be honest, we wouldn't act probably in that extreme, but all of us at some point have felt that financial stress in such a way that it affects our life, it affects our marriage, it affects our health. We've all felt that pressure. How do we respond? Does God have a promise for us when the stress of the economy, the stress of personal finance is heavy? You bet he does. And it's an awesome promise. I've warned you. I'm going to get excited. Because this promise Is an incredible promise that will change our lives. It will turn our lives upside down if it is deep in our life. Does God have a promise for that? You bet He does, because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul gives this group of Christians gathered in Philippi. And it's a promise right here. No matter what you face in 2015, economically or financially, you can believe this. Now, before we get to the promise, what I want to show you is how these Christians lived because it's crazy (laughs) what, what living that way did for them and how they were able to live that way. You ready to have some fun? I'm excited for you. So let's go. Paul starts here by acknowledging the generosity of the Philippian church. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble... You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, listen, the book of Philippians is essentially a thank you letter. That's a long thank you letter. Many of the thank you letters you get may be two or three sentences, but this is an entire book, four chapters, a thank you letter to the Philippian church for their partnership with Paul in gospel ministry. In fact, many of you if you've been around church for very long, you know how this book opens. I thank my God for you. Why? For your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippians loved, loved, loved partnering with Paul for gospel ministry, and Paul was grateful for it. And let me just pause for a moment before we get back to the text and say something to you. And I'm going to say this to you with every bit of truth in my heart. Thank you. Thank you thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for the way you sacrifice. Thank you for the way you live. Thank you for being a part of the awesome things that God is doing right here in this faith family. So, yeah, we can praise God for that. Listen, here's why, here's why God impressed that on my heart that I need to say that is because so often we come before you when we talk about our needs and I think there's times we need to come and just say, thank you. We are not people who just so happen to go to the same church. We are partners in a gospel mission and I'm excited about that. So thank you. The Apostle Paul is grateful for these Philippians because of the way they partner in the gospel. And you say, well, how did they partner in the gospel? I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked that question. The first is they were sacrificial in the way they participated. The primary way was in their giving. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit, but that's not the ultimate point of this morning's message. They were sacrificial in their giving. Look at the phrase in Philippians chapter 4 verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... Now, that's not when the gospel started. It's when the the gospel began among you when I was in Macedonia. So I want to ask this question. What happened to the Philippian church when the gospel was born in their life in Philippi? Oh, it's awesome. Do you know what this group of Christians faced? Two things. Poverty and persecution. Persecution. You may remember from the book of Acts, the apostle Paul had no plan whatsoever to go to Macedonia. His original plan was normally to go to a city that had a synagogue, preach the gospel, cause a riot, get beat up more times than Rocky Balboa, and start a church. That's typically how it happened. But, but Paul received a vision, what we call the Macedonian call, and so he went to Macedonia with a different strategy. He found a group of women having a Bethmore Bible study down by the river. <laughs> he preached Jesus to them, they put their faith in Christ. One woman by the name of Lydia. And the Philippian church was born and persecution started immediately. The Apostle Paul was dragged off to prison where he starts singing praises to God, an earthquake happens and the whole place collapsed. You thought your singing was bad. <laughs> the Philippian jailer was about to take his life until the Apostle Paul shared Jesus with him and now the Philippian jailer is saved and Paul is released. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, that group of individuals down by the river, I had to do it too, one more time, right? They have been beaten, attacked, fired from their jobs, kicked out of their families. They are facing a social and economic hardship unlike probably anybody in this room has ever faced. That's how the gospel began among them. That's how their church started. And yet, what did the gospel do in that context? Paul tells the Corinthian church about the Philippian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Look at it on the screen. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Philippi. For in their severe test of affliction, we just talked about that, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Why? They've been fired and kicked out of everything. Have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Of their own accord. And I love this next phrase, verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of of taking part in the relief of the saints. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Who acts this way? This is crazy. There's all kinds of reasons not to participate in the gospel this way. So why were the Philippians so sacrificial? Answer, the gospel, that is the grace of God, has gripped their life. I think the Philippians thought about it this way. Jesus sacrificed everything so that I could be saved. Paul sacrificed everything to bring the gospel to me that we could believe. So let's just assume sacrifice is a part of the Christian life. Hear me. When the grace of God grips your heart, the circumstances of your life will not prevent you from participating in gospel ministry. Somebody say, Preach, preacher. Preach. 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 Well, all right. You said so. Listen. When the grace of God grips your life, the circumstances of life cannot keep you from participating in the gospel. Why? You can't experience the generosity of God and not be generous. Why? At the core of being a Christian is that you love the kingdom of God more than you love the kingdom of this world. At the core of being a Christian is that your security is in Jesus, not in this world. At the core of being a Christian is you have experienced the overwhelming grace of God and that cannot help but flow out towards grace in others. And that's what happened in the Philippian church. All that out of in the beginning of the gospel. That's what happened When the gospel grenade exploded in Philippi, namely, radical generosity and gospel participation. But not only were they sacrificial, oh, it gets even worse, or you might say better. This group of Christians were abnormal. Notice what Paul says, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only you're the only one you're in a league all by yourself can you imagine being known when it comes to gospel participation when it comes to getting fired up about Jesus and fired up about the work Jesus has called you to do there is no church in the south metro as crazy as you that's what I want That's what I want people to say about Berean. This doesn't have anything ultimately to do with giving. It has to do with loving Jesus so much, we want to be a part of what he's doing. And we'll sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. You're crazy. Nobody's like you. You're the only church that responded this way. And they weren't just abnormal, but it happened naturally. Keep reading. Verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. Do you know, if you study the background of this, do you know how long it took for the Apostle Paul to get to Thessalonica and then to receive this gift from the Philippians? You ready? Anybody got a guess? Two weeks. Two weeks. This is biblical times. You don't hop on a plane and get there tomorrow. It took this church... Two weeks to get together, take up a collection, and deliver it to Paul. It takes the American church six months to decide on carpet color. You laugh because I'm right. But man, this church was so naturally motivated, they're not going to waste time. They're not going to sit around and just talk about it. They're going to get busy participating in the gospel work which has two really big implications for us coming close. Number one is participating in the gospel for the Philippians that was sacrificial giving isn't something you do when you're a mature Christian. The Philippian church were babes in Christ. But a natural outworking of the gospel was, how can I get involved? We don't have anything, that doesn't matter. We cannot help but to participate. Here's the second implication, and and I might preach on this one. It is this. Giving is not something you do because you're forced to do it. I am, and some of you may amen this. I Listen, I grew up in a culture, when it came to giving and things like that, it was all about rules-based and command-driven and twist your arm, and that makes me wanna puke. The Philippians did not give out of guilt. The Philippians gave out of the gospel. I don't care about your wallet. I care about your heart. Because when God has your heart, when Jesus has your heart, the rest of your life will fall in line. And the Philippians show us that. Paul didn't have to beg them, he didn't have to plead plead with them, and I'm not going to either. What I'm going to do is get in your face with the gospel of Jesus every single week till it messes your life up. Imagine, think of it like this, parents. Paul was gone two weeks, let's imagine you went to the grocery for two hours. And while you were gone, your children, without you asking, cleaned the house spotlessly. Some of you are like, that would be a miracle of God. (laughs) They did all of the laundry. In fact, when you got home, they, from their own money, ordered food to be delivered so you could sit down and rest. What would your response be? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How much more meaningful would it be for you when somebody serves that way out of love and not obligation? when you don't have to yell, you don't have to plead, you don't have to twist arms to say do this, they naturally do it because they love you. That's participation in the gospel. Don't give me half-hearted, rules-based legalism or I will throw up on this stage. Give me people who are fired up about Jesus and cannot help but to naturally get involved. That's the Philippian church. They were sacrificial. They were abnormal. They were natural in their giving. And they were also habitual. Keep reading the last phrase of verse 16. You sent me help for my needs once and again. In other words, it wasn't a one-time response to a sermon it was a habitual, consistent, repetitive part of their gospel participation. Please don't get over grace in a sermon. Let grace be cultivating your life a lifestyle of radical gospel participation. Not only were they habitual, they were also plentiful. Look at verse 18. This is crazy. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. (laughs) You know Paul saying, I got enough. Slow it down. Can you imagine being the church that the leader has to say, seriously, stop giving? That's crazy. They were begging earnestly, tell us how we can do more to advance the gospel. And what was this ultimately? It was a sign of a spiritual reality. You can turn back to the first chapter if you want or just listen to it. In verse 3, when Paul says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you and always never prayer, why, verse 5, because of the partnership in the gospel from this day until now. And then here's a verse we often quote, and you'll see it in Christian Hallmark cards, you know, those kinds of things. Verse 6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the context of the letter? The context of the letter is thank you for your generosity, meaning this. Your gift, your radical living is a sign not of money, a sign not of wallets. It is a sign of a larger spiritual work that God has started in you and He will complete it one day. It's a spiritual reality. This is how the Philippians lived. They were sacrificial, abnormal, natural, habitual, plentiful as a sign of the spiritual work of God in their life. Is that crazy? Anybody challenged yet? I am. Now, what did it do for him? Oh, man. Paul is giddy over what this means for the Philippian church. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And this is what you need to know, particularly because I know some people are just critical when this topic is discussed in church, and we're just saying, get over that here. We're about the gospel and all the implications of the gospel for our life. The Apostle Paul is excited, not just about their giving, he is excited about their gaining Living this way means something huge for your life. You are storing up, the Apostle Paul says, credit in your account, fruitful ministry. It's not just about what you lose. Stop thinking of giving that way. It's about what you receive in the eternal reality of gospel ministry. Jesus, quoted by Luke in Acts 20.35 said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now we treat that like it's cliché in Christian circles. But Jesus isn't trying to be cute or quotable. He's teaching a gospel fact that is taught all over the Bible. Listen to just a couple of verses, Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, only suffers want. 2 Corinthians nine six. the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It, you don't have to have a degree in math to figure this out. I'll give you one more. Luke chapter 6, 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Now, For the record, I think that's probably the most quoted line in the Bible. I think it was D.A. Carson that said, we quote that now more than we do John 3.16. Don't you judge me, right? You know, your Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Well, read the rest of the verse. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Here's the point right here, everybody eyes, right here. The point of the Bible is not that giving or investing in things of the world is wrong or sinful. It's not. Don't hear me saying that. What the Bible is saying is, is it's just a really bad investment. The return on investment, the ROI, is very small. You invest in something in this life, you might get a year out of it. You might get five years out of it. If you invest really, really well, you might get 30 years out of it. But it'll pass. But when you sacrifice and invest in gospel work, in gospel participation, where lives are changed and ministries are offered and the gospel is proclaimed here and to the ends of the earth, brother, sister, you're going to reap that for eternity. Show me anything in this world that gives you an eternal reward. That's what Paul is saying. Man, this is not about the gift. This is about the fruit that increases to your credit. So that's how they lived. That's how what living that way meant for them. Now, here's the whole point of the sermon this really isn't a giving sermon. I know you skeptics may not agree with me, but it's not. I said all that to say this. All that was just introduction. The clock starts now. (laughs) Oh, how I wish, right? How in the world would we live that way? How in the world would we ever live that way? I think about these Philippian Christians and I think gosh, that's inspiring, that's motivating, but what if I needed it? I mean, like, what if I actually took things that, that I have that are blessings from God, it's good, it's not evil, it's not bad, but I actually was so excited about Jesus and the work of Jesus that I was sacrificial in my participation, but that's kind of makes me afraid. Let me think of it this way. If my security is in securities and I give that away, wouldn't I be insecure? Not if you have a promise. Not if you lived by a promise. Not if deep in your soul was a promise you banked on. Verse 19... And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Isn't it awesome? Now let's break it down. My God, where do you start to even begin to live this kind of crazy Christian life? That will look different for different people. But how do we start? We start by saying this, and here's where the Philippians started The Macedonian economy will not be my God. The American economy will not be my God. My employer will not be my God. My paycheck will not be my God. The God of heaven and earth will be my God. You will never get to this kind of crazy generosity if you don't get your provider right. My God will provide, will supply every need of yours. Child of God everything you need, God will supply. Do you believe that? I didn't say everything you want. The problem for many of us is we've defined wants as needs. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. But can I get an amen anyways? All right. Listen, if the birds of the air have been taken care of, do you not think God will take care of you? If God has provided everything for your salvation, a really big thing, will He not also take care of every need you have in the lesser things? My God will supply everything I need according to what? According to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is an ocean without an ocean floor. Newsflash, they won't report this on the news, but the heavenly economy will never go in crisis. God will never go bankrupt. He owns everything and you're His. And so out of His riches, He will make sure for a moment you do not go without your needs. Now, let me finish the promise with this. Don't strip this promise out of its context. And here's what I mean because I hear people quote this verse all the time, but you need to be careful with it. I'll say it this way Don't quote this promise if you're not sacrificially living. Because if you're not sacrificially living, you don't need this promise. This promise was given to a specific group of Christians who are crazy about Jesus, and that's working its way out in their life. And they needed that promise, and they needed it deep within their lives. So the summary is this, and it's a beautiful thing, dear friends, it's this, hear me, child of God, eyes right here, no matter what happens to you in 2015, economically or financially, God promises that to those who are faithful in partnering in the gospel through sacrificial giving, you will have your needs met. That's the promise. So how will you respond under financial stress? who will your God be? Do you remember in the beginning when I gave you all those examples of people who tried to find ultimate security and financial security, but that God never works? There was one example I didn't give you. His name was Bill. Bill went through the exact same economic crisis that those people I mentioned did. There was simply one example difference three years before the crash Bill put his faith in Jesus Christ and listened to what he said if the economic meltdown had happened more than three years earlier I don't know how I would have faced it I would have hated myself, been driven back to the bottle and maybe even suicide today I can tell you honestly, I've never been happier in my life. You see, Bill didn't lose his life because Bill found life in the riches of Christ Jesus. He, unlike all those other examples, banked his life not in prosperity, but in a person, the person of Jesus Christ, And so this morning, I am pleading with you to make an investment right now. An investment not in American prosperity, but an investment in the promise of God. Because, friend, in a world that is full of insecurity, He's the only sure thing. Let's pray. God, help us believe this. Help us be challenged and and motivated by this example of Christians we've seen in your word this morning. Help us just start, begin to think about what this means for our life. But may it begin with a heart that loves Jesus, believes in the promises of God, and begins to see that love and that faith turn the way we think and to turn our small g gods upside down as we trust in the promise of your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.